presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 212, Michael McClellan, air show announcer, airport owner, and the first light sport pilot. Coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome back from Sun and Fun and a special edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Today we have with ourselves, us here an air show announcer, also an airport owner, and the number one light sport pilot out there, meaning he got his license first, and that's Michael McClellan. You know, Michael has been volunteering at Sun and Fun for over 20 years, and uh, he actually got that 20-year pin uh, just recently and an award from, uh, actually, the, the president of Sun and Fun came out there, uh, Lights Lean House, to present that. So hats off to Michael. Hey, Michael, uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Carl. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful, wonderful. Uh, also joining us is uh, our other friends, Tom Frick. Hey, Tom, how you doing, man? Hi, Carl. How's it going? Awesome, awesome. I got to play at airports today. We'll talk a little bit about that later. And uh, also joining us is Russ Wazleski. Russ, welcome. Hey, Carl. It is great again to be on the podcast after just... it's feels like yesterday we were at Son of Fun. I know. I know. It's, and that was such a great event. We do appreciate everybody coming out uh, to say hi to us. But, you know, before we begin, a quick word from our sponsor. Do you want to pursue a career in aviation as a pilot, air traffic controller, mechanic, or dispatcher? Or do you just want to earn that commercial or instrument rating, but you need help paying for it? The Aerospace Scholarships Guide at AviationCareersPodcast.com has over $50 million in available scholarships. Many of these go unused because people don't apply for them. For just $10, you'll receive a full-year subscription to the guide, which is updated monthly. Every scholarship is personally verified to make sure it's accurate and still available. More information is at AviationCareersPodcast.com. Let's do the pre-flight. And now to news and announcements. Uh, we actually have a bunch of announcements this evening before we get started with our interview. First of all, uh, I'd love to talk about interesting flights with people. And if you have an announcement or somebody got a rating, just uh, put it out there. Send us an email, uh, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com, and, and we'll kind of try to announce as much as we can, maybe uh, 30 years of flying or something like that. But uh, but do that, and uh, and we'll love to read it on here. It's some inspirational story, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, Russ, you actually had something really cool happen, I think it was this week. Yeah, it was actually just at the end of last week. On uh, Actually, on Wednesday, a, a student pilot from Tucson flew here to buy an airplane from a local dealer, and who I know, and they kind of set me up with each other because you know, it wasn't going to be a normal ferry flight back to Tucson. He, needed, you know, he was a student pilot, so he wanted to get a little bit of instruction out of it. Yeah, so we had a, a brand new, well, a brand new to him, brand new student pilot, um, Bought a Cessna 182, and we flew it from here to Tucson. Stopped making a couple stops uh, along the way, just you know for <laughs> nature breaks and such. But it total flying time about seven hours, and uh, just a great flying airplane, 1979 model, 
um, that have been, you know, completely you know, redone, re- new paint, new interior, uh, just real nice. Uh, and what a great flight. I mean, here, here it is. He's, he's a student pilot. You know, he's got, I think he had 1.4 hours or something when, when he showed up. And so, so, I mean, every, everything was new and, and, you know, just that, that first flight as, as kind of a long cross country flight was, was really amazing. And some, some beautiful scenery. There was still snow on some of the mountains there in eastern Arizona and, you know, it's kind of southwestern New Mexico. Uh, we landed at, at Tucumcari. Man, that, that airport is, uh, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Very, very small airport. Very, uh, not a whole lot going on, but, Good gas price and restrooms. That was nice. And then we landed in uh, Springerville, Arizona, where he has a summer home, so he wanted to be able to use that. Now, Springerville, Arizona, elevation 7,000 feet, and it was you know a 61-degree day, I guess, there. So the density altitude was 8,500. He wanted to see mostly if you know was the airplane was going to be capable of doing that, so he asked me if it seemed all right to me. And I said, oh, yeah, I think a 182 would just be just fine. We ran the numbers real quick and had a, had a great flight out of there, but... Just uh, just a great flight. We ended up landing at this little private air park, uh, kind of north of Tucson. Uh, La Choya Air Park is the name of it. Lots of, you know, taxiways going all over the place to different people's uh, hangar homes. Real neat place. Lots of different airplanes. Got to meet some of his hangar neighbors out there, and got to spend the night uh, with my brother and his wife who live in Tucson. So <laughs> it, it was a real nice, nice little trip. Awesome! That sounds like a blast. A lot of a lot of new things for everybody, which is really cool, especially in aviation. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's great. That's terrific. You know, uh, Russ, I actually got to do something kind of cool too, but not on the uh, in the air. I was on the ground. I got to visit uh, Page Field, which is in Fort Myers, uh, and I got to stop by Paragon Flight Academy. One of the things I love to do is just stop into flight schools and not unannounced, and kind of get a feel for the school and how well they do as far as friendliness, cleanliness, and uh, and uh, a good product. I tell you, hats off to Paragon Flight Academy there in uh, Page Field. Just just awesome the way they treated me when I was there. Uh, had no clue who I was, which was great, and uh, they're very friendly and open. So I thought that was really neat. Nice people, really nice people. So not as not as cool as flying in the 182, though. Hey, Carl, just a shout to that Paragon Flight School. I've been there before too, and uh, I believe that they have won um, AOPA's Flight School of the Year like a couple of times, a couple three times maybe even as being one of the best flight schools in the country. I can believe it. I mean, like I said, I've, I I felt like I was in a uh, a regular business that wanted to sell a product or service to me, and I think uh, people should go in there and learn something from what they do. And the biggest thing I feel when I get in a flight school or any place in aviation is how they greet me. That is number one right there. First impressions last forever, and uh, they do a, g- a great job of that. Plus, they deliver, as you can tell, and uh, and everybody's kind of in a good mood. Uh, they got some really cool T-shirts there. If you get a chance, fly in there and check them out. They're on the, let's see, the south side of the airport there. I had to remember because I was driving around. Uh, I can't wait to fly back in there and say, say hi to them again. Anyway, we talked about announcements. Also, if you write into us, we got a couple of announcements. Number one is myself. I got uh, five years uh, as a volunteer at Sun and Fun. Got my recognition for actually volunteering at Sun and Fun. And I know a lot of people are confused because I've been telling you I've been volunteering for a long time. Uh, that actually is from I was not volunteering with Sun and Fun. I was, I was volunteering with uh, NAFI, the National Association of Flight Instructors, because I was um, an actual 
a master CFI at the time, and I was in the booth and kind of uh, recognize, you know, talking to people about what it's like to be a, a, a master CFI, that type of thing. Uh, another person that got a, uh, and I, I hope I'm probably going to miss some people, but uh, Tom Frick, Tom, hey, congratulations on your five year pin. Yeah, it was nice, and um, I actually got into volunteering at uh, Sun and Fun because of you, Carl. You uh, <laughs> hooked me up with Sun and Fun Radio, and and. Uh, haven't looked back since yeah that's awesome so and then we also have some people that'll be coming back uh with the uh, stuck mike avcast hopefully be getting their pins next year so that's exciting like russ russ you'll be how long you've been there i think this was my fourth year fourth year so okay. yeah. yeah i think that's right so yeah next year will be five I'll awesome get awesome and that's yeah, a, it's been fun it's a lot of fun uh volunteering at any of these events and we're gonna talk a little bit about some uh some other events but another thing too is how ha- it's off to you michael for uh 20 years of volunteering at sun and fund uh that that's just terrific I tell you, it, it, time flies. It'll be there before you know it, honestly. Um, I, I consider myself a two-year volunteer, though, because I've been with um, Sunday Fun Radio now for two years, and, and that's a whole different world from what I'm used to. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that in a second here. Uh, and one more announcement, I guess. Uh, you're listening to this. This is actually put out on May 1st. Uh, we, let's see, and that uh, would be 30 years ago that I took my first flight in an airplane as of today, May 1st, 1989. I took my first flight at Wilkes-Barre, Wyoming Valley Airport, which is right near Scranton. I soloed about 30 days later, uh, and things sure have changed in aviation. They actually now have those pre-solo written exams that came in, I think, a year after I did that, and uh, it was totally different then. You soloed in like six to eight hours. Now it's a it's a whole other ball game and uh, there's a lot more to do before you solo so uh, and that by the way it was the instructor that got me turned on to aviation and that is uh, was key to what i said about uh the other flight school or any flight school out there like paragon where the instructor the person you meet is the person that is truly going to get you passionate about aviation there's somebody in your life that's going to just light that spark and uh, and that's something that i think we all should do i mean we we really are ambassadors for aviation is try to bring it up in a very positive light that's for sure so uh, anyway, I can join the, what do you call that again? The Silver Wings now? Uh, now I'm old enough or whatever to, I think they add your age plus whatever and you come up with 100. No, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, we, <laughs> I'm not that old. Now entering cruise flight. But anyway, let's move on to our cruise flight. And, uh, of course, our, our guest this evening, uh, Michael McClellan, who, like I said, he's an air show announcer, airport owner, and uh, he actually was lucky enough to get the uh, first light sports uh, pilot certificate. But, you know, Michael, you truly do live, uh, you know, the dream of flying. You actually have an airport an airplane that you can just walk out to and and fly uh that that is really cool so i i remember seeing this this tattoo on your your arm and tell us a, a little bit first about where this airport is and uh and gosh how did how did you get involved in aviation owning an airport oh well to call it an airport is really a is really a little bit confusing for most people because they they think airport airport chain link fence concrete runway or asphalt runway but my, it's it's just a grass field, like a, a lot of your private air parks around the country that have multiple homes in them. But I'm I was going to develop this property when I first bought it around '99 '98. Um, I bought an existing airport here in Valdosta, Georgia. That was uh, it was only being used by Piper Cub and some Satabrias and stuff such as that. The 
it was only about a thousand feet and so I extended the runway significantly and registered it with the FAA, which had never been done before previously. And so I wanted to get it on the charts and get, get it legal in case my neighbors try to shut me down or something, which still doesn't keep your, keep them from doing that. But it was just, I, I like all the neighbors here so far. It's just my, myself and my wife. <laughs> we get along with everybody here. <laughs> and I, I like it that way. <laughs> but, um, so do you go out to your house? Is there a house on this property? Is that what it's like? Or? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. I, I didn't intend to live here. I, I lived at, I lived on the lakes down there in Twin Lakes and just south of Valdosta. But um, the lakes are so busy, and, and this is – got 52 acres here with a, a 2,500-foot runway on it with blocked approaches. Um, so you can't, get, you can't get a huge plane in here, but you could get it. That 182 would fit in here very nicely. Um, and I've flown all flights out of here. Um, you know, until I finished my Sonics in 06, I built a Sonics. And before that, I would, and it's really nice to go out first thing in the morning in shorts and flip flops and a t shirt, walk out the back door and jump in your airplane and fly around and, you know, you're watching the sun come up, you know, um, it's just a lot of fun. That's, oh my gosh, that's like everybody's dream. Have your own airplane, have your own airport, walk outside and go fly away. I know there's other people that are listening that, have, that live on air parks and all, but uh, but this is your own. So so I guess we, we could ask some questions about starting that whole process of becoming an actual airport. Um, but one of the things that I, I think is, is interesting, you said something uh, that was key, is that you wanted to get it on the map um, so that, there's not as much of a risk, I guess, as being shut down. Um, I, as far as you're thinking along those lines, were did, were you thinking that it would be an easy process to get this done as an airport? And what was it really like? Well, it, it honestly, it was a, a lot like registering an airplane when you build an airplane. It was not totally different. You know, you, you research the correct forms to, um, to to fill out and find the right people to send them to. Um, now you've got you've got Google, which we didn't really have in '98 as much, and and so just everything's so much easier now. Um, all you all you do is Google how to register my private air park, and there and every answer that you could possibly need is right there before you. But one of the things I was concerned about early on was their cell towers were popping up everywhere in '98, and I just didn't want a cell tower on the end of my runway. And so one of the things that the DOT and the FAA does is they is they kind of I can I think they kind of help you with that. Interesting. So that's uh, that's one benefit to actually registering it because I know people out there that don't have airfields registered and they and specifically farmers like in Central Florida, I, I go by a lot of farmers that actually have quote unquote an airfield, basically grass that they take off and land on. Uh, but that would actually be a benefit to them in case uh, somebody's thinking about putting uh, you know a cell tower at the end of the runway because a lot of these runways you see are somewhat close to the highways and all. Uh, so that'd be something that's a benefit there too. I, I just think it's like really totally cool that you have your own airport and it's funny because when you when i looked you up you said google and searching on the internet it, there was another airport that came up when i looked for your name so i got a little confused uh, and that was a bigger um, one out, out west well what happened was there was when i first when i first registered mine i registered mine as mcclellan airport well i, I printed my tel- my t-shirts up as mcclellan air park well mcclellan air force base closed in california and they opened it up as a, much like the Spruce Creek down in Daytona, they opened it back up a few years later as a private air park. So they are actually McClellan Air Park, and I'm actually McClellan Airport. 
Ah, interesting. Much much bigger though. You can put some big planes in that one. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm 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 a I'm 52 acres with a grass strip and and a one single hanger and they're a tremendous amount different. Yeah. No 707s getting in there. Well, gosh, I'm going to have to come up when I get my little, uh, I guess it's the other announcement I should have said. I'm getting a little Piper Cherokee. And uh, when I when I get that thing in, in the next month, maybe I'll come fly up there and, and check it out. That'd hey, that would, that would fit in really good here. Um, you know, I do ask people, you know, to call first before they come in. Um, but, you know, that that's not always the case either. Oh, cool. Anyway, the uh, as far as the the airport and all the, the getting the licensing and it's everything done. It's uh, it really, from what I've heard from people, it's not as bad as you think. You just have to fill out the forms properly, et cetera, just like you said. So that that's really cool that you did that because I think all of us are so afraid. Like, how can I do this? It'd be a, a lot of fun. But uh, anyway, the as far as the airports are concerned, anybody else have questions as far as uh, before we move on to our next topic? Well, yeah, I, I got a question, Carl, uh, for Mike, of course. Uh, so I was just looking at it at McClellan Airport there on Google and, and Maps, and man, it looks fantastic. Uh, you, I did notice you're pretty close to was it Valdosta, I don't know, regional or international. BLD, correct. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the main airport there in Valdosta. Yeah, the Class D. Yeah, you're sitting right right inside the edge. Did you have to, I don't know, work with the tower there or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I had to get their approval. To, um, to open my airport here under their delta, um, obviously I call, I, com- I communicate with them, taking off and landing, and you know, and I gave every one of the air traffic controllers T-shirts when I first, and everybody I could find in the county government a T-shirt with McClellan Air Park on it, to make sure that they knew I was here, and you know, and I just want to operate my airplanes and and be a good steward of the community, and you know, obey the regs and and just have fun. Do you ever have much of an impact from their traffic and, and your airport at all, or? No, I'm also inside of a MOA um, for Moody for Moody Air Force Base, which I is more of an yeah, impact. I see that. Yeah, I see that. Uh, more of an impact than anything. So, a lot of A10 traffic, some C130 traffic right above treetop level. You know, so is seeing a void here in the MOA. Interesting. There's, Thanks. Yeah. there's a bombing range just right down the road from me too. So if you're not if you're not paying attention to where you are, you can stray into a into a live fire bombing range. Well, that uh, that could be interesting. It's like Avon Park. You got to be careful there where I am. And uh, it's uh, it's interesting because uh, what you said about the MOAs, that was actually a good thing. They said it's a sea and a void. So you don't necessarily have to talk to the controlling agency, but you do in that restricted area where the bombing range is. Um, you know. I was going to ask you about that. I was just curious, since you know, being in Lakeland, I noticed that there's another air park uh, here in Lakeland, and they actually got a carve out. Was that something uh, in in you know the airspace there around the airport, the uh, Delta? Were you ever thinking about doing something like that? I did. Um, that that's uh, you're talking about South Lakeland there. Yes, um, yes, sir. Yeah. I believe Jay Kurtz was the developer for that. I've flown in there and I, I did some stuff there with um, getting my sport pilot certificate, but. I, I I talked to the airport manager here in Valdosta about doing a carve out for that because I was flying ultralights in and out, in and out of here and and that's technically not legal in a Delta, um, but there was not enough traffic to you know and it was and the traffic was low enough I'm right on the edge you know treetop level to get in and out technically outside the regs but it just didn't seem like it was a significant amount to in order to cut out the Delta. 
Interesting. Yeah. That's, so that wasn't kind of like worth the effort. That's for sure. But I think that's neat that you communicated too. I mean, that I think that's awesome. I think that's something else we have to learn from this is just communicating properly uh, with the authorities, especially when putting an airport together. Um, but uh, but another thing that you are very involved with, uh, you, you know, I know you got into flying ultralights, and then uh, you you went on to some sport pilot flying. You've when we talked about your volunteering. At uh, Sun and Fun, you've only been doing the radio for a little while. You really have been doing a lot of work. Uh, I guess the the way we always talk about it, it's like Paradise City, but it's it's basically over by the the grass runway where we have a lot of the light sports showcase and uh, the light aircraft Manu- manufacturers association, or most people call it Llama. So, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about that side of the field, or or maybe not so much outside of the field, but what is the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, and, uh, and what do you guys do? Well, now, I'm not affiliated with, with Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, actually. That's Dan Johnson, and um, and it's, it's like SEMA, or and some of the other things that we have in automobiles. It's just a, an agency that, that kind of over oversees some of the things that they do, and it and it really has really been really beneficial for light sport. Um, that actually is a is another entity, but they have a large presence there on the on the on the the Sun and Fun campus there at Paradise City. Um, it, Paradise City originally started flying ultralights. They didn't have anywhere to put the ultralights, and they had this little area, a little fifteen hundred foot grass strip. I think it was about a thousand at the time, back when John Moody and Chuck Slazarzak and and those guys first brought ultralights, and so they kind of put them over there in the corner. And then when Light Sport came around, actually due to the Part 103 exemption or flying two-seat ultralights, they had gotten so large that they had they needed the runway requirements were much more. So they extended the runway a number of times, and and now it's a it's a well, for several years it's been the fastest growing segment of aviation, and so there's just a, a lot going on over there. And I'm really excited about Light Sport, that's for sure. But the now when you're over there. Uh, and I'm glad that it's growing because uh, of the expense and and also the fact that there's so many different models out there. You you must have somehow been able to gather this incredible knowledge about all these different uh, ultralights and light sports, uh, and you actually started announcing. I was wondering how how did that happen? How did you get into the announcing? And and when you're up there, you know, how do you you're like? Okay, that's a XYZ aircraft, or you know, how how did you get to know all these aircraft? Well, when I first started going to Sun and Fun, um, I bought, uh, started flying ultralights early on, and um, I started coming to Sun and Fun in 96, 97. And now Vernon Peckham, uh, he's a, a wonderful gentleman. He's passed away then. He was a BBC um, um, radio guy, and then he, he started doing um, flight line commentating. And what he tried to do was he tried to answer the people's questions that, that were on the flight line. They had a box built when I first started. It was like a a six-by-six six box about 12, 14 feet off the ground with no top on it. And you sat out in the sun and just baked all week with a microphone with Vietnam-era speakers, and it was crackling and popping and hissing. And, and you just basically tried to tell the people what was flying and tried to anticipate the questions that they might have about that product that they see landed and taken off before them. Just really simple stuff. And I... Started counting planes up there with Vernon in um, in ninety well ninety nine would have been the first year I started volunteering. I wasn't uh, commentating then; I was just counting airplanes. And 
Vernon was a really nice guy. I enjoyed being around him, and I would sit there with him and talk about the airplanes that was that were coming in. And his his background was primarily ultralights, and he just didn't know a lot of the new light sports. Well, I was I was eating up every bit of information I could find on light sport aircraft and ultralights, and and I knew the aircraft very very much like a 14, 15 year old boy is going to know the vehicles when he sees them on the roadway. Um, very similar situation because I, I couldn't get enough of it. And so as the aircraft would turn base to final, I would tell him what the aircraft was. And so he he just demanded that I start talking on the microphone. Well, I wouldn't do it the first year, you know, because once I'm, it's hard to get me to stop once I start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all you guys know exactly. But but we yeah. like the we, we like the way you talk because you have a lot of knowledge on especially on the light sports and uh, so um, but anyway go ahead I, I was uh, cut you off there but kind of no no you did not what what uh, kind of announcing do you do I mean what, for instance give us an example like a, a plane comes around the corner what what kind of things are you commentating on all right let's see ladies and gentlemen turning base to final now we have a just aircraft side by side seating for two tube fabric aircraft easily repairable powered by the rotax 912 series this aircraft is also available with the 914 turbo this aircraft is also available with a two foot extra length in the fuselage that is the just aircraft super stole xl that is, comes with a 180 horsepower aircraft engine Gives you 28 inches of travel on the main gear, 8 inches of travel on the tail spring. Side-by-side seating for two comfortable comfortable cross-country aircraft, also backcountry capable. And just stuff like that. That was awesome. <laughs> I, I wanted to go. <laughs> it was. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It, it really is. And you get a lot of feedback from the crowd because you're right there on top of them. Um, and one one thing different from radio is dead air is appreciated. Really? Um, yes, absolutely. Because you do not want to be in their ear all day long while they're trying to watch those airplanes. You just kind of want to be brief, get in there, you know, make some comments about the aircraft, and try to try to try to answer their questions that they may have without overpowering them. Well, that's a different philosophy. That that's really, but I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. So, because you've got these people here selling airplanes that you're under your speakers, also. Right, right. That makes sense. You're trying to talk to customers, and they're, and you know, you don't want to overpower them, and and you know, and become a nuisance. Basically, it's much, much different than radio because they can't turn me down. Oh, that's right. So yeah, that's true. How do I get the question, Carl? Oh, go ahead. I, I was, <laughs> <laughs> we got a million questions for you, but it, but go ahead, Russ. Oh, I was just going to say, so, I mean, obviously, that the little thing you just did there was not off a script or anything. That was just off your knowledge. I assume. I don't think you had prepared that for this, for this <laughs> podcast. I, I, you want to hear another hundred of those? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe that'll be an episode, you know, part two. Um, but, but, no, so, I mean... Yeah, I, I assume you, after you do this for a while, you get experience. You know, you can say, okay, it's got 28 inches of travel, but that's not a random number that just someone walking around is going to know and remember. Oh my gosh. So, try, so, try saying the wrong thing, and they will, they will beat you up <laughs> in a second. Well, right, but right, but, but my question is, you know, now you've been doing this for long enough that, that you just probably just remember all this kind of stuff. But when you're starting out, yeah, do you, did you try to get like spec sheets on the airplanes or, you know, brochures or how did that I started, work? Um, well, I started doing spec sheets about 10 years ago. I started doing bullet points where I came up with a generic sheet where they could fill out, you know, and 
the manufacturer could fill out, and they wouldn't do it at first. They really were, were not interested in filling out another piece of paper, so I would do it myself. And I would go through there, and I would list the engine, the you know, the, the, um, the material, the seating configuration, um, you know, just the basic facts of the aircraft. And then, then you, you know, you want to tell them who's flying the aircraft, a little bit about the pilot. And that's a little different than air show announcing. Air show announcing, you're, you're primarily just stating the facts a little bit. But I've always, always considered myself a, a flight line commentator. I mean, one of the things I've told people before is I'm, an announcer will tell you he has tomatoes for sale, and a commentator will make you buy one. And, it, <laughs> you, and, and I've, I've done both. Um, it's, it's just you have to keep it entertaining when you're on a flight line. You, when you're when you're when you're announcing a, a, a performer that's doing aerobatics in, in an air show, you don't have to build any excitement into it. That excitement's coming from the pilot and the airplane. But when you're on a when you're on a flight line doing commentating for a flight line and they're just airplanes are just buzzing around back and forth and it's really nothing you know nothing really exciting you have to try to build some excitement in there for the people to to draw the crowd into the flight line when we first started and ultra lighting was huge when i first started doing this at paradise city and they would be 10 12 15 20 people on the fence lined up on the fence it was amazing the number of people standing there and watching those ultralights fly and then as we all know that it we had some issues through the years that it um, Ultralights dropped off, and and now it's pretty much transitioned to light sport. But it was, it's a it's a tremendous it's a tremendous vibe that you feel there when you're when you're you're basically you're entertaining the crowd, and so you have to you have to put some you have to put some personality into it, and you have to just make them have a good time. So the the flight line commentating actually led you into doing some. Actual announcing. I'm I'm glad you made that distinction because a lot of people don't understand the difference there. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of the announcing that you've actually done and uh, some experiences you had. Like like who who have you announced for? I've done just I've, I've not done a lot of of flightline of, of um, air, uh, air show announcing. I've done some stuff for Patty Wagstaff um, a couple of times, and I've done Fifi. Um, one of their shows that they did. I've done Batman a number of times. Um, Eugene Knock out of, I believe, California. He owns the original 1966 Batmobile and the original Batcopter. And I've done his shows a number of times. I've done, um, well, there's, there's several that I've done and I, I hate to start naming them because I would miss one or, or 12. And, um, it's just, it's a, some of those shows, like the Batman show, you can build the excitement in, you know, and it's, it's a lot of fun to do those shows as well. It's the Drunk Farmer is one of the ones I've done, which is, which, I don't know if you've ever seen that routine, yeah. but they, yeah, it's funny. It's good. That's a lot of fun. To see that Crown Vic coming down the runway with the guy shooting at the, at the airplane and the airplane bouncing his wheel off the top of the, um, the car top. That's exciting. So, and to be part of that, I've just been blessed, honestly, because, you know, uh, I was listening to you talk about me a while ago, and I'm thinking, who is he describing? Because that does not sound like me. Airport owner and all this kind of stuff. I, it's just a grass strip to me. It does not, it doesn't, and it, but it is, it is federally registered, but that's the only difference that differentiates my airport from a, a hayfield somewhere. Right. Between the farmers that I drive by all the time in central Florida and you. Yeah, and then the the only way I was able to get into doing any of the stuff that we've talked about was by volunteering. When I started out volunteering at Sun and Fun, and I, I volunteer at some other shows as well, but 
uh, volunteering at Sunnathon at Paradise City really opened a lot of doors for me that that I have just that's really I've had a lot of fun doing it. So if someone was thinking about doing some uh, either the flight line uh, commentating or the air show announcing, air show commentating, uh, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about doing that? Well, for, for one thing, all you have to do is have a desire to do it. You really don't have to know anything. All you have to do is just to be able to get up there and and talk. Everything else kind of takes care of itself, or it, it has for me anyway. And and that's actually it's funny you said that you know I've I've only been asked to announce for just a, a couple air shows and uh, you know performers that are nothing like Patty Wagstaff or anything but uh, just having that passion in your voice while you're talking about this incredible airplane that you love and uh, and you have you have to have some knowledge and background on it that's something else I've I've done is and I've I've done nothing compared to you and and one thing that is really important I think is to have as much knowledge as you can uh, and I like what you talked about about filling out a sheet understanding all the different aircraft uh and i think that's a great great idea because you have to have that knowledge to keep things going uh and i i really think too it helps you grow as an individual and people come to you for advice um but it also it kind of puts you in that precarious position of everybody asking you about these airplanes like you know not to put you on the spot but i mean what's your what's your favorite light sport aircraft Oh man, you get asked that question every day. Right, I'm you'll sure. have people call you throughout the year. All right, I'm going to buy a light sport aircraft. Which is the best one? And and that's just like anything else. What you have to ask them is, what's your mission? That's your first question. And once you identify your mission, then you can fill in the you can fill in the blanks for which aircraft is is going to is going to fit your mission requirements better. That's like asking you, somebody what kind of car they need. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're landing on a if you're landing on a on a five thousand foot asphalt strip, well, you're not gonna need a just aircraft superstall for backcountry aircraft. You, know, you may you may need a tri gear configuration. Your carbon fiber may be the the material that you're most familiar with that you like the best. Um, you may have some fabric experience, um, polyfiber stitch, you know, fabric covering like a, a Piper Cub was was covered. Um, you may have you may have some aluminum experience that you may be able to, you know, like like those materials best. And there's just a whole list of things that you could go through. Um, and that's one of the areas like LAMA, the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association. That's one of the things that they do is education, you know, and help people in those areas as well. Well, and a big uh, shout out to Dan Johnson. By Dan Johnson, he has this incredible database and videos about a lot of the light sports. If you're thinking about buying one. Absolutely. See, when incredible. I started out, Dan Johnson was a he was a test pilot. He flew for a, you know the, you would, the main dif- the different aircraft around the country. They would they would get they would call Dan and say, "Hey, we need you to fly this aircraft at this show." And so he would fly at Oshkosh and Sun and Fun and and these other small air shows around the country. Interesting. You know, uh, you said you went from ultralights over to light sport. Well. Uh, and you have this incredible vast knowledge. One of the things that was interesting when we were talking is that you actually, mostly because you were lucky, but you were also there, is that you were light sports certificate number one, aren't you? Yes, I was. I got that on April the 9th of 2005. Um, I was actually the, the second one. There was a guy in front of me that actually failed the test um, down at Sebring, Florida. And the FAA had just signed off the instructor. Uh, Rumkey Sycamore was my CFI, 
and they were pacing up down the hall. And I had I did a blitz for uh, with ASC, the Aerosports Connection. I was a BFI under the exemption with Aerosports Connection. And um, Jim Stevens and his wife Debbie, um, they were really influential in, uh, in in training ultralight pilots back in the in the day. And they did the they did the fast the um, the blitz. I think that's actually what it was, and it, it it stood for something. I forget now what it was, but it was the um, Actually, the FAST was the Focused Accelerated Sport Training, and it was given from the 5th through the 8th there at, at, um, in Lakeland, Florida. So I took my camper down there and camped out for a couple of days and um, went through that and and then just naturally did the next step while I was down there. And I you know, went to Sebring for the, the next couple of days to do their – I did laser grade trainings in Lakeland, and then I did, did my um, check ride down in Sebring, Florida. So that so you can still have that. I am I'm number one in the light sport world, but uh, but just just through luck, I get it. And that it's it's really cool that you're out there doing this, and it's it's exciting to have somebody that that really does. You still love light sport, which I think is cool. But uh, do you so so did you transition now? Are you more doing light sport, or or do you like to do any other type of flying? Basically, um, I just. I- the only thing I have left, I have I finished a Whitman Tailwind a couple of years ago and sold it. Um, I've sold all my ultralights now. The only thing I have left is my is with Sonex actually. And I was actually looking at an, air, an aircraft the other day. I would like to buy another ultralight. Uh, I have a friend of mine that has a a, a T Bird two seater T Bird, you know, open air cockpit. It's not an ultralight. It would be considered a light sport, but it's very ultralight type aircraft. And the so the ultralight type of aircraft for those that really don't know much about it, what's the difference between that and say uh, the light sport flying it? I'm sure there is a big difference. I'm thinking. Well, when you consider ultralight, um, the, the, some of the guys that I know around here they 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 tease me about flying a lawn chair around you know with a lawnmower motor on it. Um, some of the earlier ones really were. That was a, a pretty good description of some of the earlier ones, but like a, a, a T-Bird um, side-by-side tube and fabric aircraft, ultralights are, to, to be a legal ultralight, you have to be less than 254 pounds, um, capable of less than 60 miles an hour sustained flight, um, and have less than five gallons of fuel on board, single seat um, only, and to fly a two-seat, there's no, there's really no such thing as a two-seat ultralight except under the 103 exemption, and that was an ultralight trainer. But now the exemption has gone away, and it's been taken by by Light Sport, which is a completely different aircraft. Um, they, they are, your your two-seat, your heavier two-seat ultralights do have to be flown under the Light Sport classification. So you could have two aircraft sitting side by side. You could have, the, you know, a sport cruiser. Um Sitting, you know, when that's a side-by-side um, tri-gear configuration of carbon fiber wing, carbon fiber fuselage, and then you could have a, a, a M squared, M squared Sport Two sitting there, which is a totally open cockpit, tube and fabric with bright wires and braced wings. I mean, it's really primitive looking, but both of those would be sport pilot air, aircraft. Well, that's interesting. So. One of the things that you got to realize there is 
you know, a huge variance. And, and just like any aircraft uh, that you're purchasing uh, in its characteristics, et cetera. But I, I think the point also I was trying to make, you really need to get instruction in that aircraft or know that aircraft. Well, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, they would be, it would be foolish to try to get out there, which a lot of us have. A lot of us did, but, you know, you, you can't. You really just cannot afford to do it. It's just too dangerous. So... The light sport, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about it. I fell in love with it in Sebring, and uh, I got to fly the uh, sport cruiser, and the year it was taken over by Piper, I really think that was such a cool aircraft. And I was like, man, this is neat. Uh, I, th- I, at the time, was not skeptical. I was just very open-minded. I feel that it's it's here to stay. I really would like to hear your opinion. I know I put Dan Johnson on the spot with this question. Is you know, do you think light sport is here? Do you think it's something that's going to grow? I think I think it's I think it's going to grow. I don't think it has any choice but to grow because there are too many aircraft that are that are in that are in that classification. And you know, when that when the classification came down came down in '04. When we got the sport pilot classification, there were people put a lot of money because they knew the rule was there now. They put a lot of money into, into building these aircraft to, to fit the light sport classifications. And, and they knew the people were going to come in and, and, and get the sport, sport pilot classification license. One of the things you could do is you could, is you could, if you, if you had never failed a, a medical, under the third class medical, you could let your medical lapse. And you could fly a light sport no matter what you're, what it, with a private pilot certificate. And that was really, um, attractive for a lot of people who, you just no longer wanted to maintain their medical. They wanted to just fly something that was two people less than 1,350 pounds, no faster than 138 miles per hour at sea level. The, and those are some good numbers if you just want to fly, you know, like I do. I mean, there's, that fits my, that fits my, my, my mission perfectly and, and it really does and, and the other thing too and I, I i used to say this a lot and people got mad at me when i'd say this it's an incredible instrument platform i mean the avionics and some of these things are are better than what i have in the airbus it's incredible uh it, it really is oh my god um, and and go ahead i'm sorry well no it's just what you were saying and a lot of them you know you're a lot of them are, are flying experimental aircraft and you can fly experimental aircraft, which is what I choose to do. I, I built my Sonex myself, and so I fly the Sonex as a 51% experimental, but it fits in the, in the sport pilot classification. So I can change my panel and do anything with my panel that I want to, and everything's non-TSO'd. And so I can, the, la- the latest glass panel that comes out, I can, I can pop it plane in just a couple of days of fabricating. Hey, Michael, so um, I don't have any experience at all with light sport. You know, I did everything from private pilot above and, you know, heavier airplanes and just regular general aviation. So for somebody who hasn't been in the light sport world, now I've, I've, when I go to the air shows, I always go looking at the planes. There, there's so many choices. And like you said, there's there's so much variety and so many um good choices that you can make in aircraft in the light sport world you know what is somebody who's been flying in the area that i have how do, how do i transition over to that what, what is a way to get to learn more about light sport well um i actually know a uh, uh, used to fly to cannon creek down there and there was a retired um i think he flew 727s and he actually had to take instruction how to in in how to fly a single engine um 
light sport aircraft. And it was, I think he bought a CTLS at the time from flight design. Um, and I guess, you know, the best way to do that would be somewhere like Sun and Fun or some of our other fly-ins, Oshkosh, coming up. Um, that'd be a good way for you to get up personal and ask the people questions about it. You know, get up to the flight line and watch the aircraft fly. You know, do a little research with your um, with your trade magazines that, with, that we all subscribe to through the years. Um, the internet would be a very good not a good place to start. You know, what are you know Google? You know, something like what are the um, the top ten selling light sport aircraft? That'd give you a good starting point there. And then you could take that knowledge and then go to go to your local fly-in, even even some of your smaller some some of your smaller shows. And watch the aircraft actually fly. A lot of people that come to my shows around the country, they come all the way across the country to see an air, one aircraft fly. They'll come up to my booth and they'll say, when is this aircraft fly? I've come from Canada to see it fly. And that, that's pretty interesting because then I'm able to hook the people up with a manufacturer. And a lot of times you can get demo rides at some of the smaller shows. That's one of the things you can do at Sun Fun as, as well as, I guess, Sun Fun will be coming up. I'm not sure if you could do it at Oshkosh. Son of Fun just passed, rather. Um, I don't know if they give demo rides at, at Oshkosh or not, but uh, most all of the shows do demo rides. And so you identify a number of aircraft that you, you that you like the most, go to a show, get demo rides in those aircraft, and, and go from there. You know, Tom, to add to that, um, the other thing, too, is LAMA, the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association. Uh, some of their sponsors are actually some of these air shows. And uh, I know there's Sebring, which I absolutely love to go to. And that was the first time I actually got to fly a light sport. Uh, but they also, I think they just finished the Midwest uh, Expo. Uh, and I think it's in Illinois that they do that. And then there's another one that's coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about actually shortly with uh, DeLand. Uh, but I think... As I remember, I thought it was with you, Michael, we were talking how they're starting to do more of this, and uh, meaning they're having expos for just light sport for those that are interested in getting out there and, and just trying out one of these aircraft, not just seeing them flown by somebody else and seeing them on a on a static display. So, yeah, I, I think just like you were saying, Michael, it's going to grow, and I think those type of exhibitions are going to grow also. Yeah, I do. I do Sebring as well. I've done Sebring ever since the fir- ever since the first year. I did Sebring with Roscoe Morton and um, and Vernon Peckham, and and I, I, Sebring's a great show. I've had a lot of fun doing Sebring as well. Awesome. You know, it's funny. I don't think we've ever run into each other at Sebring. It's a, it's such a it, it's actually it's small, but you get so involved in different aspects of it um, that you could actually get wrapped up in just a certain section because it's so personal, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's really it's not. It, when you think about when you think about the size of Sebring, it's it's it is so much smaller than Sun and Fun, but then it's really focused. Um, it's focused on basically light sport aircraft, and and there's other aircraft other outside of light sport. The um, um, Phil Lockwood and the AirCam is there, and they they manufacture that AirCam there, and that's absolutely outside of the parameters of light sport. And it's a um, it's a great it's a great show, and and it it People come to Sebring, they come specifically for light sport, and they, they sell a lot of airplanes, and a lot of people come to buy their products there at Sebring. Right, and that's, uh, I think Sebring, 
uh, also spurred another show, and that's what, one of the things that's coming up. Uh, it's a different week. I've never been able to make this, by the way. It's the Land Sport Aviation Showcase, and uh, and one of the things that they're really trying to stress in both of these shows is talking about more affordable type of aircraft that are brand new and uh, and, and actually have some in, in exhibitors that you can have that very personal interaction with. I've never made it to DeLand, but uh, I know uh, you have actually announced at that, and I think there's a live show you did. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what, what DeLand is, the Sport Aviation Expo, and also uh, what your role is there. I actually named that show. It's, it's only because it's only named to call the showcase because I, I gave it that name. I won a contest, actually, <laughs> to name the show. That's a great name. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was um, it one of the things that Deland does is they have a they have a light sport village there. They there's a, manu- a lot of manufacturers there on the field that manufacture um, parachutes. It's one of the skydiving capitals of the country, I think. Um, and so they were their intention with, from the city of Deland was to bring manufacturers in that could do each phase of the construction of an aircraft. Like this this manufacturer could manufacture the skins on the aircraft and this manufacturer could manufacture the engines of the aircraft and and that's really worked out well for that that light sport village is really growing and the and just explain like if if i'm going to like a deland because uh, i haven't done it yet what would i expect or you know what would i do maybe to make my visit efficient or do i need to make it efficient well no no there's just go with an open mind. Go with an open mind. There is, there, like I said, some of these smaller shows, they're more personal. There, there's not as much foot traffic. Everything is not set, is not separated as far away. So you're, you're not parking and then having to walk three miles to find the aircraft that you've come to see. You know, everything is a lot more up close and personal. Uh, the pace is a lot less than some of the other shows that we see. And it's just a whole lot more personal attitude and, and a personal feeling you're able to talk to the people more because you don't have the air show going on over your head it's really difficult in which we really appreciate them flying we really enjoy them flying but it's really difficult to, to sell an aircraft with a jet airplane flying over your head that makes sense and, <laughs> and that's that's one of the things that that people really like about shows like sebring and deland and copper state and some of the other ones around the country yeah, so in the Deland show, though, by the way, we we should actually mention the dates on that show because it, usually it's always the the first week, but it, like other shows, it's been moving around. It's This year it's going to be November 14th to the 16th, and uh, that actually is going to be a really cool show for me because the, the week before that is our regional competition uh, with our college flight team, which is actually in Lakeland, Florida this year. So we're going to actually be able to go up the road and check that out. Uh, but that uh, that expo has quite uh, the showcase uh is has quite a few vendors that have some very positive feedback on it so i can't wait to go check it out uh but you will get that chance to actually go out there and and go do some flying out there which i think is really cool so yeah i've had the opportunity to fly a lot of airplanes and i really don't have the opportunity to fly as much as i want to at shows because i have to, i work pretty much 12 hours a day doing these shows um, and sometimes I'll slip away and get a little dead air and um, and, and fly some of the other aircraft. Um, and I, they're they're always asking me to fly with them, and I always want to, but I I feel so much responsibility to sit there and and you know and keep keep the flow of the traffic moving and and keep people, you know keep keep 
keep just doing what basically doing what I do. So you're doing like a live, is it a live streaming event? Is that what you're doing this year? Um, no, that's actually, um, um, Sun Up Phone Radio is actually uh, doing some stuff. Not Sun Up Phone Radio, but um, Dave oh, Schalbert and the guys are live streaming there. Not, right. um, and I'm not actually affiliated with that. Interesting. At that show. Interesting. I thought somehow you were uh, connected with that, but that's going to be pretty neat uh, this year. They're going to be doing that live, and uh, I know Dave loves doing that, and uh, it really is uh, It's kind of cool to watch them out there and, and see what you all are doing at the show. But they, uh, They've done that. They've done that live um, That live from Sun, from um, from Delay in the last couple of years, and it's been, or I think last year may have been the first year, and it's been, I really heard a lot of great feedback on it. Yeah, yeah. So we can't wait to see that again. You see that on Facebook, but uh, so Michael, we you know we're coming up on our time. What uh, it, we've got a, probably a lot more questions, but what's next for you? I mean, what what's next uh, in because you are so involved and you're out there all the time in aviation. So what's what's your next challenge? What is your next? My uh, next challenge is to be the best part of Sun and Fun Radio that I can possibly be. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think you're doing that. I mean, uh, you did a great job this year. Uh, the live radio is different, isn't it, with uh, no no airspace, huh? It's a tremendous amount different. Although um, it's not totally different than what I do, it's just keeping the keeping everything going is very similar yeah yeah and you get to talk airplanes so how hard how hard can that be right <laughs> and i have help which is incredible yes yeah that is a cool thing having a whole team there well you did a great job on the radio this year and it's uh, gonna be great having you back next year but uh but for those folks out there that are, that are listening it's really kind of uh easy to find out more about these different organizations and we'll have links in the show notes but uh it you know is there any place that uh maybe folks can find you on the internet uh just um email address um and my contact information is is there with under mcclellan airport um or mcclellan yeah mcclellan airport seven golf alpha two um, i have my contact information there so i can be found there all right, we'll have a link to that in the show notes too. But this, uh, it's really been great having you on here, uh, Michael. And I, I think uh, you've been a real attribute and, and been somebody who's been an incredible ambassador for light sport. Um, the light sport aircraft, I think, is just going to be something that's going to explode even more. So I, I forget what the numbers are, but if you compare us to, to Europe, I think there's percentage-wise, we're incredibly small as far as the number of light sport compared to other aircraft out there. And uh, I think that's going to start doubling and tripling over the next few years. So uh, can't wait to see that. And, the, and honestly, the stuff that they're coming out with is just just super sharp looking. Uh, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, any just things that are just designed incredibly well and things that you don't mind pulling up on the ramp uh, in. Because I remember when I first started seeing these, like, hmm, you know, these, these really, gosh, some of these don't look very attractive, actually, but they must be fun to fly. Uh, now that we're looking at fit and finish as something that's important in light sport, and I think that's pretty cool. Hey, Michael, yeah, I got a question. Sorry, while, sure. while we're on to back on light sport again. So you talked a little briefly about this. You mentioned it earlier, but I'm kind of curious a little more detail. Would What kind of... Uh, people audience market i guess do you see primarily in the uh, the light sport aircraft is it people that are, are older and you know maybe medical difficulties or is it you know people that are finding it you know the affordability aspect or, or what do you see all of them or there's one kind of 
focus or not? What do you think? I think I think due to the broad range of of prices in the light sport market, then you're liable to see everything from the guy that just got out of high school that's looking to buy that's looking to buy some type of aircraft to get his foot in the door flying, all the way up to the guy that's re- he may be a retired air captain like some of you guys, not retired yet obviously. They're just, yet. just looking for some of these aircraft that are upwards of two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you can buy anything from from five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar aircraft that you could build yourself, all the way up to some of these really, really nice, sophisticated light sport aircraft. Yeah, they are really very nice, and it's good to hear you say that uh, it's it's covering all ranges. I mean, that's that's certainly what we need in aviation, and it's glad that we have something that appeals to to everybody. And but like me, I, I bought my first airplane. I paid eight hundred dollars for it. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> and. You know, as an ultralight, obviously. So and taught myself how to fly that. So, if, so there's been like a, a huge change since you did that uh, in the field, and there's just just a bazillion different aircraft out there. It seems like, um, but I think in general, the ones that I th- I personally feel is that are going to shine are the ones that truly give you service. Like that's something that's important to me as an aircraft shopper is uh, how much service will I get from the community and how much will I get from the actual manufacturer? And that's actually been a question I've been asking more and more of because in the past I wasn't expecting it really. Uh, but now I think you're seeing that, aren't you? That's incredible information there. And that's one of the things that you, when you look at an aircraft Especially if you're buying a, a brand new aircraft, talk to somebody who's 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 had to buy parts for that aircraft, and to find out what the turnaround time is on them, because some of these guys are they do a tremendous job. Bristol is one of the top mm-hmm. top in the field, but there's some of these some of these manufacturers they 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 really they really struggle to um they really struggle with replacement parts for their aircraft, and and there's a and there's tons of different reasons for that, but that's one of the things that you want to look at is availability of replacement parts because we don't we don't intend to ding an aircraft, but it does happen. And what's interesting, you mentioned Bristol, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, is the fact that even if they don't have a solution, they'll come up with one. And, and we've talked about this before on, on just uh, being able to actually engineer a solution for somebody that broke their aircraft, and, uh, and they were able to move forward with it by just putting their heads together. You don't get that kind of service from some other organizations out there. There are a lot that are really good as far as service are concerned, though, and I think they're getting better, and I'm, I'm glad for that, especially in the light sport field. And I'm, I've been excited about it. I'm so, so excited about this field that I'm, I'm kind of looking at one myself too and after <laughs> after the after the Cherokee's gone which I'm only leasing that for a short amount of time I think that might be the the next thing up on the list so so I'm going to have to hit you Just up for a lot of knowledge cruiser. yes uh, you mentioned you, the sport cruiser was the NG3 that was designed by Milano Bristel and the Bristel the BRM the one that you see flying now is the NG5 mhm yeah so those are both Milano Bristel designs and they're both good looking and uh, yes. and they fly very well. I don't know about the Bristol, but I know the Sport Cruiser is, is an awesome plane to fly. Uh, yeah, I've flown Bristol. It's a very nice flying aircraft. Yeah, so very similar to the Sport Cruiser. Not, and the Sport Cruiser is is a is a is a great aircraft as well. Um, you know, they're both they're both equal equally good aircraft. And, you know, before we close up, there is one thing I think I mentioned before about IFR flying and getting training. You can actually 
uh, fly IFR in a light sport if you do something else. And that's, uh, you know, transfer over to the experimental side. We actually had that, uh, I think, on the open pod night, uh, and uh, it was explained on how that can be done. That's something you can actually go towards uh, in the possibility in the future. Because a lot of folks that I know they are in the experimental field say, well, at least I can fly mine IFR. And it's like, well, you can actually do that uh, with your light sport in the you know in that direction if you decide to jump through those hoops which is a lot a little bit of work i should say but the people at uh, bristol really do know how to do that and they'll walk you through that process but even still i mean just having all those safety features another thing that you're starting to see is ballistic recovery shoots and uh, brs and i think that's that's awesome too for especially for the family for friends that uh, don't feel as comfortable getting in that's another selling point i think too uh, and then i think the other one is is the uh, the bentley uh, version for uh, what was it? Uh, uh, that was a Bristol actually had the Bentley version of the fit and finish and the and the interior of the aircraft. And I think that's really cool that you can you can get those uh, in whatever uh, model of car sports car out there. And uh, so they've really they've they've kind of gone to that route. And I think that's really neat. But even with that said, you don't have to go towards that two hundred thousand range. You can come back and come to a very simple aircraft, brand new and purchase one for a hundred thousand or less and you really i think it's hard to find that in any of the other uh type of aircraft that are manufactured out there and and i think that's that's something that that is exciting me about the the future of light sport but uh anyway michael this has been awesome having you on man it's uh it's terrific listening to you I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I've enjoyed working with you guys these last couple of years at Sun Up and Radio, and I, and I really enjoy you know, being friends with you guys. Yeah, and, and uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is uh, all of us that do these shows, we, we do get together afterwards and have, have a lot of fun socially. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you see us out there, whatever there it is, Sun and Fun, uh, Sebring, The Land, uh, Oshkosh, uh, any of the local shows like AOPA, uh, any of their fly-ins, uh, grab us afterwards. We'll hang out and, and just talk because that is – that's some of the the greatest fun of, of any of the shows for us. I know, Michael, I'm sure for you, too, is actually to, to listen to people and interact with the folks that are listening to us. That's for sure. Absolutely. I've met some incredible people at these shows. Well, Michael, again, thanks uh, a lot for coming on uh, the show. And, and, you know, from myself and all the other folks here at Stuck Mike Avcast, this has been great having you and hope to, to see you again uh, soon in the future. Absolutely. I hope I hope you'll have me back sometime. Well, guys, uh, I, no picks of the week this week because uh, it was an interview show. But also, don't forget uh, all the stuff we talked about here, all the links and everything, the Sport Aviation Showcase that we talked about in the land. We'll have links in the show notes there. Also, at uh, McClellan Airport, uh, it actually you'll find links to that. Uh, it's going to be right there in the show notes, and that's uh, 7 Golf Alpha 2 is the identifier for that. Go check it out. Uh, it's a lot of fun listening to Michael, and uh, the passion obviously is there. It's really interesting to see all these new aircraft out there in, in the next couple of years. Hopefully, we'll see you. Look for us in those uh, Stuck Mike uh, shirts out there. And don't forget, if you get a picture of us or or a selfie with us, hashtag StuckMikeSelfie and put it out there on social media. Well, folks, it's been great talking to you, great talking to Michael McClellan, and we can't wait to talk to you next episode. Safe flying. 
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. Thank you.